I'm an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sada Flody. This episode is everything you need to know about menopause. Before I get into it, the first thing I want to make very clear is that I'm not giving any type of religious or medical advice. So if you have any questions concerning your health, please speak to your medical provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please ask your friendly neighborhood religious leader. It's the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman who talks about sex. And today I have my sister here, Rafia Lodi. Hello. And she's just going to be hanging out with me. Uh, and we are going to be talking about menopause. So, hey, Raf. Hey, Sadaf, or Dr. Lodi, as people call you. I am from, <laughs> we are in the South, and we really want to know about women and menopause. All right. So just to kind of go over uh, what menopause is, <laughs> menopause <laughs> is the... Um, is the time in a woman's life when she's no longer having periods. So uh, when a woman goes a whole year without a period, that's considered menopause. So if you go a whole like 11 months and then all of a sudden you get your period, you're not in menopause yet. You have to go a whole year without any bleeding to be in menopause. Is there an age range for women when they start menopause? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, here in the U.S., um, it's considered around 51, 52. So 52 years of age is typically when women will go through menopause. Okay. And so in our previous podcast, we spoke about perimenopause and we spoke about its symptoms. What are the main symptoms of menopause? Yeah. For menopause, they're pretty much the same. Women will a lot of times, um, and remember, most of these symptoms are due to decreased levels of hormones in our body. So decreased estrogen and progesterone in our body, um, primarily estrogen. And so the symptoms that women tend to experience are um, hot flashes, night sweats, mood swings, uh, vaginal dryness, and... um, they will experience also dry skin and also vaginal dryness. So that's really important. Um, sometimes women have a hard time focusing, and that can also be uh, due to the estrogen, decreased estrogen. Mm-hmm. Um, women also may notice that uh, their emotional health is affected, like they may feel um have a tendency to feel more depressed at times, uh, also may experience some mood swings. Mm -hmm. So all of those things are very important to know. They may also have uh, sleep disturbances and notice some lower energy, you Mm -hmm. know, during this time um, of their life. So very important to be aware of your symptoms. And especially if they start to impact your quality of life, to go and be assessed and um, treated if you can. Uh, by your medical provider. Remember, menopause and perimenopause are not, um, you know, they're not diseases, right? They're just Mm -hmm. transitions in our lives that happen. And it's all a normal part of aging. And, you know, it's very important to embrace that part of our 
life. However, if the symptoms start to you know affect our activities of daily living, then that's when it's important to be treated. Yeah. So are you talked about treated? Are there any treatments for menopause? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, it's based on whatever symptoms women are experiencing. So, for example, vaginal dryness is a big one. And uh, a lot of times women in menopause will notice vaginal dryness and uh, pain with intercourse due to that vaginal dryness. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be important that, um, you know, if women desire to have intercourse but are afraid that it uh, is going to be painful, that they get um an estrogen cream, sometimes that will help. And a lot of times what that does, it, it uh, helps with the tissue. And so what can happen in menopause is that tissue um, all over the body can become dry and thin out, um, but specifically in the vagina. And so um, if that happens, then it's important to get vaginal estrogen cream because that will help to plump up that tissue in the vagina. And, um, therefore making intercourse, you know, not as uncomfortable. And remember, if that uh, tissue really starts to become thin, you know, there can be some tears in that tissue. So it's going to be important to keep that uh, tissue healthy. And uh, the other thing that keeps um, the vaginal tissue healthy is to have a a healthy um, sexual life. And so when you know, women are more sexually active, then there is increased blood supply to the vagina. And so that also keeps that tissue, you know, revitalized and, um, you know, more plump. And so hopefully there'll be less um, tissue damage and uh, dryness. And um, so that that'll make intercourse less uncomfortable for women at that time. Okay, so you have to use it or lose it kind of. Yes, yeah. So remember also that um, what we spoke about a little bit in that perimenopause mm-hmm. podcast was that that uh, vagina does shrink, mm-hmm. you know, and can shrink. And so yeah. women that don't have intercourse during that time, and remember, perimen- uh, you know, menopause is like, you know, in your early 50s. So um, if you decide not to have intercourse and not to have intercourse for a long time, that you know, like we just, like I just mentioned, is that that tissue, the vagina shrinks and that women may need to use dilators then at that point, you know, depending on how long it's been that they've had intercourse and uh, it may become even more uncomfortable. So it could become a vicious cycle where that tissue becomes um, thin and uh, what we call atrophic and, um, and then it becomes uncomfortable. And so then women don't have intercourse. And then when they decide to have intercourse, it becomes painful. So, you know, it's just going to be important to be aware of that. And if there's any discomfort to let your gynecologist or your healthcare provider know so that they can help you uh, relieve some of those, you know, issues that you're having some that discomfort. So how long generally does menopause last? So menopause is forever. So it's, you know, once a woman goes through menopause, she's not having periods anymore. And that's really what that means, right? Mm-hmm. So meno is like menstruation and pause is that you no longer are having periods. So once a woman stops having periods, it's, it's done, it's gone, it's forever. So, you know, menopause is a part of our lives as women um, that is until, you know, is forever. Yeah. yeah. There's no. 
So when women are in menopause and, for example, can they start bleeding again? And um, is that normal? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. So what happens is that women, you know, when they're in menopause, really should not bleed again. It yeah. should be done. It's once mm-hmm. they're once they're in menopause for you know the bleeding is done forever. Now, yeah. if women start to have bleeding during menopause, then that's a sign that something else is going on, and yeah. you know it's very very important. It's what we call postmenopausal bleeding. So mm-hmm. it's going to be very important that women go and be assessed, and um, that the lining of that tissue be evaluated. Because what can happen is that sometimes that can be the first sign of endometrial cancer or uterine cancer is that postmenopausal bleeding. Yes. So anytime a woman notices bleeding after menopause, Mm -hmm. and again, you know, I just want to state that menopause is a whole year without a period. So once a woman Mm -hmm. goes into that phase of her life and if she starts to bleed uh, again, then you know she absolutely has to go to her doctor's office and be evaluated, even if it's just spotting. And typically, what we'll do at that time is we will, you know, get a full history, and then we'll also get an ultrasound. And okay. what that ultrasound is looking for is it'll take a look at that uterus, the tubes, and the ovaries, and the thickness of the lining of the uterus. Mm-hmm. And if that thickness is greater than, you know, typically we say like four millimeters, um, then we will do uh, a biopsy of that lining of the tissue. And sometimes, you know, practitioners, if they have a high index of suspicion that it might be uterine cancer, then they'll go ahead and they may, they may just go ahead and do an endometrial biopsy because that's typically what we do anyways, because you that way you get a piece of the tissue and we go ahead, we send it to pathology and we make sure that it is not cancer. So that's why that's so important to rule that out. And um, like I said, postmenopausal bleeding is one of the first signs of uh, uterine cancer. Okay. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. But it's good yeah. to know. You need to, we need to know this information, you know, because I didn't know that. And now I'm a little bit more educated on the topic, which is good. Yeah. 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 Are- absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, another risk factor can be uh, obesity, you know, so when women are uh, morbidly obese, um, what can happen is that um, our fat cells um, also can uh, promote um, lining the tissue uh, in the uterus, it can promote that because what happens is that that fit, fat tissue can lead to increased estrogen and that estrogen production can lead to um, the lining of the uterus increasing and that can lead to postmenopausal bleeding. So for example, say if a woman was uh, morbidly obese and she came in, she told me that she had gone through menopause, you know, like uh, two years ago, and now all of a sudden she's bleeding, I would have a high index of suspicion that perhaps she may have uh, uterine cancer because of that unopposed estrogen, that um, estrogen that she has, and that's causing that tissue in that uterus to start growing. And then that, um, so when she starts bleeding, that may be, um, you know, a sign of uterine cancer, not always. So I don't want, you know, the listeners to 
go away thinking that, you know, if they have postmenopausal bleeding, all of a sudden they have uterine cancer. And that's, that's not the case, you know, but uh, there is, you know, that is one of the biggest signs of um, uterine cancer is that postmenopausal bleeding. And that's why it's important to go and be evaluated by a practitioner and get that biopsy and to make sure that you don't have it. Yeah. So it's a risk factor you just need to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Obesity. Right. Right. But otherwise, um, Right. Postmenopausal bleeding is one of the biggest um, signs or symptoms of um, uterine cancer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Good information. And, you know, some of the other things that women can do Mm -hmm. um, during menopause that might help with, um, you know, some of the symptoms that they're having is uh, they may also notice actually during menopause is that uh, they have prolapse, prolapse of some of the vaginal organs, um, uterine and pelvic organs. For example, what can happen is that uh, sometimes you can have prolapse of not only the vagina, but um, also the uterus. And that's because of the laxity of those tissues um, that can happen during that time. Okay, so let's back up a little. What is prolapse? So prolapse is when some, uh, like an organ, uh-huh. like for example, the uterus, yeah. that is typically uh, suspended up in the pelvis, right? By like uh, the ligaments in the pelvis. And if that falls down into the vagina, sometimes that can happen as we age because our tissues become a little bit weaker. And um, a lot of times one of the first signs will be that a woman may feel like a bulge in the vagina, she may feel a pressure in the vagina, she may feel like something is starting to come out. And when we as gynecologists or healthcare providers do that exam, we'll notice that um, there is something starting to come out, it could be the cervix. And that's typically the first thing that we see is the cervix, because remember, the cervix is the end of that, uh, the bottom part of the uterus. And that may be what's coming out into the vagina. And so when you have an organ that is in the pelvis, right, start to come down into the vagina, that's called prolapse. Or you can also have, there can be a prolapse of um, the bladder that falls into the, prolapse is basically something that starts to like fall down, okay? So it can be like uh, the bladder coming into the vagina, or it can even be that's called like a, what we call a cystocele and, um, and, or you can have, um, part of, um, like with a lot of straining, sometimes women have constipation and if they strain a lot, they can have what's called a rectocele, which is like a, an outpouching of the rectum into the vagina. Okay. So, <laughs> so, wow. That's kind of scary. So, yeah, I know, right? You're learning a lot of stuff. I'm learning a lot. I'm getting my education. I love it. So, so yeah. So, anytime you have any of those things starting to come into, like, basically, it's like a bulge. Okay. okay? So, anytime you have any of those bulges coming into the vagina, that's like a prolapse. So, it can be either the uterus coming down into the vagina. It can be the bladder falling into the vagina, you know, and remember, it's not like a whole bladder, but it's right. like, um, you know, part of the bladder. Does and, exercise um, help? Um, any type of exercise to prevent this? Yeah, I mean, you can try to strengthen your pelvic floor muscles, right? And so a lot of times we'll suggest like Kegel exercises, 
Mm-hmm. Right. And that helps. to, And so that's why it's so important to uh, maintain the integrity of those muscles in the vagina, exactly. because that will hopefully prevent some of those prolapses from happening. You know, and sometimes sometimes it just can't. Sometimes that tissue is just too lax and, you know, will start to come down on its own. But um, the Kegel exercises are definitely some um, ways that you can hopefully prevent some of this prolapse from occurring. You know, sometimes just the weight of even if a woman was pregnant in the past, you know, just the weight of the childbirth carrying a baby for like nine months, right, can cause those tissues to become a little bit weaker. So that's why it's important for us to, for women um, to do those Kegel exercises to support that. So having multiple pregnancies, does that affect it as well? Because every time you have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's that it's that pressure, right, okay. in that uh, pelvic structure. And you know, they say sometimes women uh, that have had vaginal births, that mm-hmm. pushing yeah. that they do to uh, deliver that baby mm-hmm. can also result in prolapse, okay. right? So they can have some like some of that uterine prolapse or that what we call that cystocele or that rectocele mm-hmm. um, due to all that those pushing forces that um, happened. Okay during childbirth. So sometimes that can affect it as well, you know, and, but remember not all women will have that. So yeah. some women will have a vaginal birth and not experience any of these things, right. And yeah. not have any type of prolapse. So it really is based on your tissue integrity. And, um, and they've noticed also that some women that have never had or have been pregnant have also had prolapses, oh, wow. right? So yeah. Or women that have had C-sections, yeah. you know, yeah. um, can experience some prolapse. So it's really based on your tissue integrity and uh, how strong those pelvic floor muscles are. So that's why it's important for us to continue to do our Kegel exercises to prevent that, hopefully. Yeah. Some women also in menopause, you know, will experience lowered libido, right? And again, that's um, due to the the lack of estrogen, Mm -hmm. right? So um, you can now, before in the past, you know, they didn't have much in terms of medications for that for women, but now there have been um, new pharmacologic therapies that have come out to help with libido in women. Um, mm-hmm. Again, there are there is um, hormone replacement therapy as well okay. uh, for women during menopause to help alleviate some of those symptoms mm-hmm. of, um, you know, what we say vaginal dryness or um, those mood swings and night sweats and um, hot flashes. But typically, you know, if you go to a gynecologist's office, they won't, uh, hormone replacement therapy isn't typically the first thing that uh, we do just because there's been a lot of mixed research with regarding hormone replacement and uh, the role that estrogen plays and uh, estrogen has been uh, known to cause uh, blood clots and, um, and or, you know, and stroke. And so that's why it's not always our first line. However, they say that hormone replacement therapy helps the most in women uh, within the first 10 years of them going through menopause and used for the least amount of time. So that's typically what we do is that basically whatever helps a woman get through that initial stage of going into menopause, that's how long we like to prescribe the hormone replacement. But we don't typically like to prescribe hormone replacement forever. I mean, I think that's a great topic for your next podcast. 
hormone replacement. Therapy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I know it's, you know, there's definitely been a lot of research in it. And there have been different studies that have been done on it. And, um, you know, there's still more studies that come out with in regard to hormone replacement. Um, Another topic that I'll touch briefly on are bioidentical hormones. Um, There was a thought before that, you know, it was better for women to take bioidenticals instead of the FDA approved uh, hormone replacement, but then that turns out to not be the case because a lot of times with bioidentical hormones, you know, those are compounded in pharmacies and there's no way to regulate and to know, you know, exactly how much or what the dose of the estrogen is that you're getting in those uh, bioidenticals, right? Especially if they're compounded, they're not regulated by the FDA. And that's why um, a lot of practitioners kind of, they don't like prescribing bioidenticals because we don't know, you know, what, what exactly is in them, what percentage of hormone is in them. And so that's why if you go to your provider for hormone replacement therapy medication, they will prescribe, they'll tell you to get the FDA approved medications, because those are at least regulated. And we know how much and what dosage of hormone you're getting in each of those. Um, There's a sense of security using something that's been approved by the FDA. Right, because it's regulated, yeah. it's monitored, yeah. and you know if there's any adverse events, those are reported. And so, whereas not the case for you know any type of bioidentical hormones. Yeah, yeah. At least you know this is not obviously you know a hundred percent. You know what you would say um, to a patient. Complete. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there's still so many topics um, with in regard to menopause and in terms of treatments and how we treat them, things like that. So I don't want people to go away thinking that, you know, I've covered everything about menopause. This is just kind of the tip of the iceberg in terms of menopause and what it is and how it's treated. Mm -hmm. And lots of therapies are coming about. Also, you know, in terms of... um, the vagina, you know, that tissue with that tissue becoming lax yeah. and or um, thin and that tissue uh, being more what we call friable or, you know, more prone to tears during that time. Lots of um, lasers have come out to improve that, uh, what we they say, like uh, vaginal rejuvenation. Yeah, they use like radio frequency to increase that, uh, plump up that tissue um, and uh, lots of different laser therapies and uh, some uh, OBGYNs actually have those in their office. You know, of course, insurance does not cover that, but um, definitely there are some type of radiofrequency therapies also available for um, vaginal tissue. So definitely go to your doctor. Don't miss your appointments. These are important transitions in life. So we just need to be on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, okay, well, I think that uh, is good for now. And I am done here. Uh, it's been real and really intimate. And remember, this is not meant to be any sort of medical advice. So if you're having any issues with your health, please definitely be sure to go see your healthcare provider. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. <laughs>